0: Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. It's good to be hobbling this morning with you. I could not be more excited to hobble today before you. You know, um, first of all, I just want to thank the very, very many people who have been praying for me. Can I just tell you that uh, that thing called prayer? It works. I stand before you today. By the way, if you're new, hello, my name is Zach. I work here. Um, but uh, for those of you that aren't new, you've been walking well, you've been walking, I haven't, for a little bit. But 20 days ago, I, um, I had surgery. On my ruptured Achilles, and right now I stand before you not on my own strength, but on the strength of the prayers of many, and that is what the body of Christ is all about. You could clap a little louder if you're excited this morning, but um, <laughs> Jesus is so good. And what I love about what I've walked through, my wife has walked through, is that for three weeks we haven't made a meal. Our kids have been taken care of. They're three and one. They're kind of a handful. Um, we've had so many people just checking in on us and being gracious to us, and that is what the body of Christ. The church is about it. It's not about four walls and a beautiful worship set and some halfway decent or maybe halfway not so decent preaching this morning. It is about us all sharing and caring, bearing one another's burdens, meeting the needs of the people that we do life with. And can I tell you this morning, you are here for a reason, okay? Can I tell you this morning that the devil doesn't like that you're here? He loves nothing more than to keep you away from his family and for you not to be known, and for you not to know other people around you, because we cannot do this life alone. Amen? Amen. All right. That is not the sermon this morning, and I've just taken up three minutes of my time. So are you guys ready to get into the Word of God this morning? You ready? Terry, you ready? All right. Well, if you weren't, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? We are in, as you saw from the wonderful video, okay, we are in a series on Advent, which is strange because it's Christmas. Those things don't coincide at all, right? But we're in a series on Advent. Today's Word is joy. Everyone say joy. joy. Oh, come on. Say it a little louder. Joy. joy. Come on. All right. Joy. And I'll tell you this morning, I have joy not only because I'm hobbling before you today, but because nothing can steal my joy today. All right. My Raiders won 63 to 21 on Thursday. They cannot <laughs> lose today. They cannot ruin my Sunday. I am, I am going to go home and not even worry about football today. We said a friend, you can't ruin my joy. All right. You can't. All right. So, Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. We're going to start at the end today. All right? Sometimes I take you on this journey and you're like, where the heck is Zach going with this? Well, today I'm going to show you where we're going. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. I'm going to tell you the main points of the message and then we're going to backtrack. All right? Just like I slowly backtrack. Hopefully I work a little quicker through scripture than when I walk. All right? So, Luke chapter 2, we're all very familiar with uh, this historical account. I don't want to say story. I want to say historical account of the birth of Jesus. It's not a story. It's a fact, okay? It's the most documented birth in the history of the world. Just so you know, there's more resources that support this birth, this man, this, this a Messiah being born, not only in the Bible, but outside the Bible than anyone in history. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Are you there? Oh, I love it. That night, There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Could you imagine, by the way? And guess what? All this awesomeness led them to be terrified. Terrified. But the angel of the Lord told them what he learns in angel training school. Every angel would say this, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring Great joy, say great joy. great joy, to all people. Now, we're gonna unpack a little bit of this and we'll get a little bit to later, but I wanna lay the groundwork here. So good news, what is good news? We all have a different definition of good news, right? Well, I want you to know the Greek word here is the word evangelion, okay? And that is a word that was used by the Romans when they would return from a victorious battle into a city. It was a military word, okay, It it is a word that would signify that they have won the battle, that the the victory is theirs, that they're going to come and celebrate something. This is the word that the doctor Luke, Luke was a doctor, the person who wrote the book of Luke, weird, right? Luke wrote Luke. But this is the word that he uses in the middle of history as the Romans were in power. He says, I'm going to use a Roman word. It is good military news that this, this baby was going to be born. And then when he he's very careful, looks very careful with his words in, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, he says, he says, great joy. And, and the Greek there is megas karos. Megas is for great, karos is for joy. There's several different words that he could have used to describe the joy, but he uses megas. This is great. This is grand. This is exceedingly above what we could ever imagine. It is superior joy. Now, the word joy. I told you I'm excited today. I'm talking about Greek, and I'm excited, okay? The word joy, several different words in the Greek for joy. Several. He chooses karos. Karos relates to grace, which relates to gift, which relates to giving, which relates to undeserving favor. So what does the angel say as he announces the Messiah, the new king of the world? He will give you megas karos. And who is it for? Is it just for the Jews? Is it just for the uh, people who are wealthy and high up? Is it just for the priests? No, Terry, it's for all people. Now, I don't know the Greek for all people, so you'll have to look that up yourselves, okay? But it's for all people. All people. Here's my question for you this morning that I want you to think about. Is it good news of great joy for you today? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe it's good news of great joy that this little baby was born 2,000 years ago? Well, I want, I want you to know that I'm going to give you the answer that is it is good news for you today. I'm going to tell you why. Here's why it's good news for you today. Three things. If you're taking notes, you can take with me. Um, you can write these down. The first is this. This announcement of good news of great joy is the fulfillment of 2,000 years of old promise and prophecy. It is 2,000 years of God's working and making and orchestrating his providence and his goodness in the midst of human absolute terribleness. This good news of great joy is a promise that God is keeping because he's a promise keeper. You need to hear that this morning. The second thing is that it's not just for the people who get it right. It's not just for the people who who go to church every Sunday and read the Bible every day. It's not just good news for the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. It is for everyone. And by the way, if you're sitting here today and you're breathing air, that everyone includes you. You don't think you're here for a reason you are. It includes you. It includes me. And the third thing, which I'm really excited about, is uh, it's good news of great joy because the unopened gift of supernatural joy in your life and my life is i believe the greatest spiritual superpower we could ever have and it is a gift that we need to take advantage of okay so there's the end that's the sermon now let's go backwards all right go to genesis chapter 12. don't worry i got genesis in there genesis chapter 12 verse 1. now remember god created the heavens and the earth genesis chapter 1. noah um, survives a flood because the earth got so bad the earth gets bad again, and God scatters the people in the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 9. And here we meet a man named Abram, who has no background that we know of, and God starts speaking to him. And this is what he says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. A couple things I want to note here for you. Do you see all the times that God says, I will? There's only one time in here he says, you will. Because God is faithful to keep his covenant even when we don't. He is faithful, and he will. Okay, and then verse 3 there, I want you to note that he says to this random guy named Abram who did nothing to deserve God speaking to him, who did nothing to deserve all the promises that God made to him, he says, Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, I want us to not miss the importance of this covenant promise to Abram because out of this covenant promise from Abram, the rest of the Bible's narrative flows. The rest of history flows. We have to understand what is happening in Genesis chapter 12. He chooses a random man named Abraham and says, "Uh, you're 85 years old, you haven't had kids, you're gonna have a bunch of kids. And then he says, through you everyone else on this earth will be blessed. I tried with Adam and Eve, they didn't do so hot. I tried with the people after Noah, they didn't do so hot. Okay, we're gonna do it through you now. And I want you to be a conduit of my love and my peace and my blessing and my hope and my joy. That's what I want you to be, not because I need you, bear in mind. It's not because I need you, Abram. It's because I want to bless the world through you, and I want you to experience what it means to be a blessing, because that's the greatest joy that me as your God could ever give you. Come on. And I want want us to very much understand this, because sometimes we get this twisted. Even as a pastor, I get this twisted that God does not need me. He doesn't need me. His will and his way will be accomplished without me, whether I like it or not. Okay, I think of Deborah, the, the prophetess Deborah back in, in the book of Judges. I was reading that this morning, and, and she goes uh, to the man that says, hey, uh, will you come with me, Deborah? He goes, are you sure you want me to go? Because God, you don't need me to go. He says, she says to the man, and, and, and the man says, no, I need you to come with me. But see, if, if that man wasn't ready to go, God raised up Deborah and said, I'll, I'll send Deborah instead. And so he doesn't need us. He wants us. You see, God has cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need any of it. He wants it. You know why he wants it? He wants it for you. He wants you to experience what he experiences all the time when the people, his people, his children love him and get to experience the blessing that he provides. He wants that joy for you. And this scripture, this passage is where the rest of the Bible and the rest of God's promises flow out of. So keep that in mind. That's a promise. All right. All right. Jump to Genesis 35. We get two passages in Genesis today. It's very exciting. Genesis 35, we are, we are at a place where uh, Abraham has had some sons. He's had a son who's had a son. And uh, this is uh, Jacob now who um, God is interacting with. And this is kind of a random verse you'd never pick to do a sermon on, but we're going to do it today. Genesis 35, verse 21, says this, Then Jacob... now. Jacob is Isaac's son. He is the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel. He would go on to have 12 sons, and they, that, that is where the nation of Israel is birthed out of. He was also a shepherd. I want you to keep that in mind. Then Jacob, verse 21, traveled and camped beyond Migdal-Eder. What the heck is Migdal-Eder? Now, it was. Now, in Hebrew, Migdal-Eder meant tower of the flocks. Okay, Zach, where are you going with this? You'll find out. Tower of the flocks. What they would do, Jacob was a shepherd. What he would do is he'd go up on this tower, okay, and he would watch, he could watch thousands of sheep instead of a hundred because he could see out across the land. And I don't know why, well, I do know why, I'll, I'm not going to tell you why yet, but why God puts this passage in here in, in Genesis 35, verse 29, he does not need to denote the place. He does not need to, to specifically call it migdolator, but he's doing something very, very intricate and amazing. Okay, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Now, after this, in the book of Genesis... By the way, if you read verse 22, it's kind of embarrassing. One of the reasons, side note, complete side note, why I believe the Bible is true is you read about Reuben here doing something completely not cool, and uh, God just puts this all throughout the book of Genesis. I just read through Genesis, and oh my goodness, there's a lot of messed up people in Genesis. Make me look like I'm a decent human being. But that's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true, because it's so honest. But that's another sermon. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Where are we going? You're going to find out. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going. Now, the nation of Israel, right? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. They were sent to Egypt to survive a famine. They are now in Egypt, and they have been enslaved by Pharaoh. Okay? Moses is raised up, and Aaron are raised up, right? If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, you you, you would know what I'm talking about, or if you've read the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Moses and Aaron are raised up. They go to Pharaoh and say... Say it louder, let my people go. He said, let my people go. Does Pharaoh listen? No, he does not. So God sends 10 plagues to convince him. Um, Funny enough, side note, these 10 plagues were actually specifically directed at the, the 10 gods of Egypt to show that God was God and they were not. But on the 10th plague, he finally listens. God sends a plague that would kill the firstborn sons of all the Egyptians. Sounds harsh, we don't have time to unpack it, but uh, God's good, don't worry, I promise. But this was interesting because the last plague being killed in the firstborn of Egypt, every firstborn uh, Egyptian uh, from Pharaoh, Pharaoh's sons, was considered to be a god. And Egypt was decreeing at that time that the firstborn of Israel would be killed, and so God comes and says, no, no, you're not God, I am. But look what he does in verse 10, I want you to see this. He says, do not leave any of it until the next morning burn whatever is not eaten before morning speaking of manna which God provided in the desert verse 14 jump to verse 14 it says this is a day to remember Emily touched so wonderfully last week on just all the things that God gives us to remember in her sermon it was so wonderful it said each year from generation to generation you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord this is a law for all time all time okay all time that means forever so what he's speaking about here is when God brought the Passover, killed the firstborn of Egypt, uh, Israel rubbed blood across, again, we're really weird Christians. If you're new to the Bible, I promise you it's not too weird. But God uh, had the Israelites rub blood across the doorposts, and the angel of the Lord passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb over them. God was in- in- incorporating a very tangible object lesson for the nation of Israel and for us. Okay? Okay. Very, very, very intricate, very specific. And he says, You will do this for all time. What he's speaking of in Exodus chapter 12, or things that he speaks of throughout the first five books of the Bible, is, is the concept of Passover. This is still celebrated to this day in Israel. Okay, if you have any Jewish background in you, you understand what a big deal this is, okay? All time. Now, during this time in Exodus chapter uh, what are we in 12? Exodus chapter 12, there was about three million Jews. Okay? So every one of those three million Jews, each individual family would have to to go take a lamb, slaughter it, put its blood across the doorpost, and eat the meat, okay? It's a lot of lambs. It's a lot of lambs for three million people divided into families. Then in King David's time, it was five million. Well, in Jesus' time, guess how many? Six or seven million is what they estimate. It's a lot of lambs. I want you to understand that. We We have a promise given to Abraham. We have a location of a watchtower for sheep in Genesis 35, and in Exodus chapter 12, we have a ritual that will be repeated for all time that involved the sacrificing of sheep. Jump to Numbers chapter 28. Numbers chapter 28. So not only would tens of thousands of Passover lambs have to be slaughtered every year, guess what? Numbers chapter 28, you know we're getting fun when we get through Exodus and Numbers says, verse three, say to the people of Israel, this is the special gift you must present to the Lord as your daily burnt offering. You must offer two one-year-old male lambs with no defects. So not only are you gonna do this once a year for you and your family, but you're gonna bring daily sheep to be slaughtered before me for your sins. That's a lot of sheep, would you agree? They might need a watchtower to watch all the sheep. Okay. We're almost there. Relevance is coming. Go to Micah chapter four. Micah chapter four. Miss Lynn, hopefully I'm not too fast. I see you taking notes. Hopefully I'm not too fast for you this morning. Mike, thank you, Lynn. Micah chapter four. Now, we're all familiar with the Magi? When King Herod says, go find Jesus and report back to me, and they don't go report back because God appears in a dream to them and says, no, he's trying to kill Jesus, don't go tell him where he is. Well, what Herod does, is he sends his wise men, okay, his Gentile wise men to go look through the Hebrew scriptures, and this is actually where they look to find out where Jesus will be born, is Micah chapter four, okay? Micah chapter four, verse seven, says, those who are weak will survive as a remnant. The nation of Israel is in captivity at this point for their many, many sins over uh, the course of thousands of years. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Then I, the Lord will, there's the Lord willing again, the Lord will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will return to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. Zach, how does this relate to Luke chapter 2? Thank you for asking. You see, in captivity, the nation of Israel was in captivity in Babylon. They were forced to speak a new language. They were not allowed to speak their native dialect. And they started to speak a combination of Jewish dialect and and the Babylonian dialect. And so slang started to develop. So as this is written, it is written somewhat in a Jewish Hebrew slang, And when they say that in verse 7 here, if you notice underlined up there, Jerusalem, if you actually go and break down the Hebrew word that they're using there, that would mean Zion. Zion was used over and over again in in the Old Testament to reference a place of God's dwelling and God's God's presence. But in verse 8, the same word in our English Bible that says Jerusalem is not the word for Zion. It is the word for, anybody? Migdal Eder. Two places in the Bible Migdal Eder is mentioned. Genesis chapter 35 and Micah chapter 4. Migdal Eder, we know from uh, historical documents, that it was located near the city of Bethlehem, right outside the city. city of Bethlehem is five miles from the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is where they would sacrifice the Passover lambs, the sheep. Mm. It's coming together. So here the prophet Micah says... The Messiah will be born in Migdal Eder, a very specific location that was only mentioned one time before this in all of Scripture. We're almost there. Relevance is coming. Go to Luke chapter 2 now. We made it to the New Testament. We're almost to the end. Now, Luke chapter 2 begins with the, the historical uh, account of Caesar Uh, having his people do a census to count everyone. This census is recorded in extra-biblical sources, in secular sources, just so we know it's a historical uh, event, okay? And this is what Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we read it earlier, says, okay? Mary and Joseph have come to Bethlehem, which is right near Migdal Eder, which is five miles from Jerusalem. And it says, that night there were shepherds, staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So we've had a very specific promise to a man named Abram. We've had a very specific location in Migdal Eder. We've had a very specific practice and ritual called Passover. We've had a very specific way to help our sins be forgiven or the Israelite people's sins be forgiven in sacrificing lambs. We've had Micah confirm that specific location, and here we have a very specific time. God is orchestrating his promises over thousands of years, and he gives a very specific time. And the, 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 the author of this book, Luke, gives us some key things to understand what time it was. You see, why would sheep be out at night? Now, I will confess, I am not a shepherd. Okay, I don't tend to sheep. I don't know if any of you are. If you are, you could correct me. But aren't predators out at night? Danger is out at night. Why would they have sheep out at night? Wouldn't it be cold? Sheep don't like that. Why risk these lambs to, to death? Well, I have a theory. You know, go with me on this theory. We, often, we celebrate Jesus' birth in December. I don't want to burst your bubble, okay? But there there's some differences of opinion on when Jesus was born. Okay, we celebrate it at Christmas for some very specific reasons. That's a whole separate sermon, but we're not going to get into that. But, but I want to argue today that there's three historically somewhat accurate, debated by very, very smart people, much smarter than me, times when they think Jesus could have been born. December, early fall, and spring. Okay? I'm going to argue today about the spring, okay? So just go with me. Okay? Now, reason I'm going to argue about spring, you see, Spring was lambing season. What is lambing season? Birthing. We have some farmers here, so this this is good, right? People have grown up around farms. It's birthing season, okay? So these new baby lambs would be born. Weird that Jesus is about to be born, right? And the firstborn son of God was born, what I would argue with you, in the spring lambing season in Migdal Eder, Okay? where the Passover lambs were born. And those Passover lambs would be sacrificed later that year. And later, 33 years after this birth of Jesus, he would be sacrificed. Hmm. Okay, specific time he was born. But he was also born to specific people very specific people. And I want you to hear this morning, if you are doing something or you're journeying through something, whether it be your profession, your family, or whatever you're journeying through, I want you to know that God is preparing you for something that you have no idea about. And he is instilling gifts in you. And I want you to, I want you to see this. This is so cool. This gives me such excitement for what I do on a daily basis. It says in Luke chapter 2 that the, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, I told you there's other historical accounts. In the Mishnah, which is the Jewish scriptures, there's a quote up there. And what the Mishnah tells us about Migdal Eder, don't you love it? When extra biblical sources, other historical accounts confirm the scripture of God. He says, Beasts which were found in Jerusalem, those beasts were sheep. As far as Migdal Eder, and within the same distance in any direction, males are considered as burnt offerings. Females are considered as peace offerings. Rabbi Judah, don't know who that is, says that which is fit for a pasach. Now, pasach is the Hebrew word for Passover. We learned about that earlier. Is a pasach offering within 30 days before the pilgrimage to the Passover. That's in the Mishnah. So, what do we learn from this? The specific people that first engaged with Jesus were shepherds. They weren't just any shepherds. They were shepherds at Migdal Eder. Okay? Why did that make them special? Now, shepherds were not very special. They were the lowest of the low of the low of the low. We'll talk about that later. But these shepherds were the shepherds that helped birth the lambs that would go and be sacrificed. Why was that important? Because they would have to be sacrificed as perfect, unblemished lambs. They could not have defect. Okay? foreshadowing of Jesus' sacrifice 33 years later, they had to be sacrificed as perfect, unblemished lambs. So these shepherds, who all they did all day long, they would go take the sheep out, they'd eat, they'd protect them, okay, they'd help them birth their, their young, right, they keep them away from predators, they'd clean up, you know, after them, which was not exciting. They'd do this over and over and over and over. And they weren't thanked for it, they weren't thought highly of, they weren't uh, praised for it, they did it over and over and over again. And here's how God uses that. These priestly shepherds were keeping watch of the flocks for sacrifice. And do you know who God says, hey, who's going to meet baby Jesus first? Who's going to go identify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Who's going to go identify the Son of God, the unblemished Lamb of God? Who is going to go identify him? Shepherds, Not just any shepherds, the shepherds that have been trained not only their whole life, but all their family's whole life for thousands of years, the shepherds that understand what to look for in a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb, they're going to go see Jesus first. Just in case you didn't know who God was declaring Jesus to be, it was his son, the perfect lamb of God. And these priestly shepherds prepared for thousands of years of shepherding in Migdal Eder, We're going to meet him first. It gets even better if you jump down to verse 11. or sorry, verse 12, okay? It says, and you will recognize him by this sign, shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, Migdal Eder, from other Jewish sources, we believe that that tower, the tower of the shepherds, the tower of the sheep watching, there was a place at the bottom. Think of a tower, right? And then at the bottom they had a little, just a, you know, a cylinder there, right? And there's a place there. So they had the stairs up and the place at the bottom. Well, they believed that at Migdal Eder they would birth lambs. Do you know what they would put baby lambs in so that they would not blemish themselves? Because lambs would come out and they'd squirm and walk and they'd fall and if they got a blemish they couldn't go get sacrificed. Do you know what they'd wrap them in? Swaddling clothes. You know where they would lie them? In a manger. You don't think God's very specific in orchestrating yours and my life so that we could bring glory to him? You are wrong, okay? Because he has prepared these shepherds not only to recognize the baby Jesus, but to go, when, can you imagine when the shepherds showed up and this baby is lying in swaddling clothes in a manger and they're like, we just did this yesterday. We just did this, and we did it the day before and the day before and the day before and our whole lives, our parents did this, our grandparents did this, and we thought it wasn't important, but our job today is to identify the king. It's just amazing. Thousands of years of setup. Thousands. A random verse in Genesis 35 that's not so random. All of that stuff we talked about for this moment so that we would be unmistakable about who the king of kings and the lord of lords and not only that what his purpose was to be. God's good. And again, he he does it not only for this reason but to shepherds, the lowest of the low because his good news according to Genesis chapter 12 to the random man named Abram who did nothing to deserve the blessing of God was that all people will be blessed through him. If anyone signified all people, it was the people who cleaned up after sheep. You know they weren't even allowed to testify in court in Jewish culture. All people, the lowly, The unfavored, the unclean, all people. Crazy part is the Magi later were to represent the Gentiles, all people. When they came, they were the Gentile, all people. It's amazing. It's amazing. And as Tim alluded to earlier, this, this birth of Jesus that we read about and we sing about, and, and I tell you what, as a parent, man, I love watching my kids sing these Christmas songs. It's so amazing. We've had four performances this week. I want one more. I can't wait for next week, okay, when they're going to get up here and sing. But, but we sing these things, and as Tim said, it's just nostalgic. We don't understand how historically rich these things are. And, and, and just like he said, this birth of Jesus was not a, a silent night, you've ever had a child, there's no silent nights after birth. Okay, it was not this wonderful, you know, I love the, my son calls them the activities, the nativities that are all out in front of people's houses, right, calls them the activities. It wasn't this beautiful picture of this somber baby being held by Mary and, and Joseph smiling there. They were probably going crazy. They were out in the cold with animals. They were in the midst of scandal they weren't allowed in the inn or, or they, they were at home with their, you know, in, in their hometown and no one would invite them in. Can you imagine? They traveled for days and no one said, hey, can you come stay with us? They, they were, it was, it, would, it was a birth that was so scandalous, so crazy, we can't even picture it. Jude, Jesus was born into an, what many considered an adulterous situation, Mary cheating on Joseph. He would have no hope, no future, no name. They would, they would call him the fatherless one. The word would be Mamzer. You can look that up. It's a bad word in Jewish culture. Okay? This is what Jesus was born into. In the very exact location where the Passover lambs were lambed and born, where the priestly shepherds were prepared for thousands of years to identify spotless lambs. And 33 years later, five miles away, he would enter Jerusalem on the exact day that Passover lambs would enter Jerusalem. He would be examined there for four days, the exact amount of time that each Passover lamb, the priestly shepherds would examine with the priests of the temple for four days, each lamb to inspect them and make sure they were worthy of sacrifice. He would enter the same gate. There's eight gates around the city of Jerusalem that that the Passover lambs entered. And he would go up on the cross the same day that the first Passover lamb was slaughtered, he would come down from the cross the same day that the the last Passover lamb was slaughtered. All of this, God was preparing, and anyone with a pulse, you and me, and especially the Jewish people, would have no mistaking what God was trying to say, that the lamb of God was born to take away the sins of the earth. He is the Messiah. He couldn't have been more clear. good news, great joy for all the people. And as as we wrap up here, as Jen comes up and we wrap up, how do we have this joy today? How do we have this joy today? Advent means expectant waiting. We learned that from Tim two weeks ago. Expectant waiting, waiting with joy. And can I tell you? that these people of Israel in Roman captivity who had just been through a Babylonian captivity, who had just been through an Assyrian captivity, they were tired of waiting. How many more captivities, God? How many more years, God? How many more of our people have to die at the hands of the Romans? How many more times can we be told we can't pray? And if we're honest, if I'm honest with you, I get tired of waiting. With joy. How many more trials do I got to walk through? How many more fractured relationships do I have to endure? How many more sicknesses do I have to see happen? How much more cancer? How many more mass shootings? And this is what I believe the reason for joy is. Did Jesus change those shepherds' circumstances? Did they suddenly become the wealthy elite? Did he? The Bible doesn't say that. But it says they had joy. Did Jesus change the disciples' circumstances? Actually, they got worse. They were persecuted and killed, some crucified upside down. But they're full of joy. How is this good news of great joy when the circumstances don't change? And I want you to hear this this morning. The basis of joy is not the absence of suffering. It is not. I'd imagine those shepherds went right back to their normal life. They were made fun of. They were mocked. Their history and their trajectory didn't change. Uh, I would imagine, uh, I mean, I know from historical accounts, the disciples, they weren't elevated to the leaders of Israel. They were killed for their beliefs. Psalm 23 says, the basis of joy is not the absence of suffering. The basis of joy is the presence of God. I'm going to say that again. The basis of your joy, my joy, the world's joy is the presence of God. Isaiah 7 says, Emmanuel will be his name. Matthew 1 says, Emmanuel, he shall be called Mary because he will be a God who is with you. He will be a God who is among you. The very presence of God will be inside of you if you follow Jesus. See, the shepherds, their circumstances didn't change, but they were in the presence of God. The magi, their circumstances didn't change, but they were in the presence of God. The disciples, their circumstances didn't change, but they were in the presence of God. You and I, our circumstances might not change, but you have the very presence of God living inside of you. Jesus was born into a scandal. And the scandal of the Evangelion, the good news, the military good news of great joy, is that it announces this great joy when the Jewish world was falling apart. The upside-down kingdom and way of Jesus is that when everything is its possible worst, it could be we still can and we must sing joy to the world. For one simple reason. God is with us. God is with us. So why is this good news of great joy? I'll tell you what I told you at the beginning. God keeps his promises. His promises aren't for just anyone. They're for you and for me. And guess what? His joy is for you right here in the midst of whatever you are walking through today. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. You know, preaching this after a ruptured Achilles was a, a blessing from God. It was a challenging blessing from God. How do you have joy? And it's crazy, the Bible is so clear on so many things, and this is one of those things the Apostle Paul lays it out so clearly for us. He says, As children of God, as one who call on him as, as our King and Lord, be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? It says he received the message with joy in spite of suffering. You see, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is a momentary sense of pleasure during favorable circumstances. It is fleeting. It is temporary. Joy is a deeper state of being. You can be joyful in the presence of suffering. You can be joyful in the presence of pain. You can be joyful in the presence of difficulty. You can be joyful in the presence of doubt. It is a fruit of the Spirit spirit according to Galatians chapter 5. And it says in, in, in Luke, For the joy set before Jesus, he went to endure the most painful, gruesome death you could ever imagine on a cross. He went there with joy. And this joy was right after he cried tears of blood because of what he knew he was about to endure do you want that do you want that this morning do you want that superpower that jesus had as he looked death in the face all the sin of the world in the face after 33 years on earth and said i don't want to do this but i'm gonna do it anyway and i'm not just gonna do it i'm gonna do it with joy You see, Jesus, he comes as the Savior and King that we need, not the Savior and King that we want. We often sing, we just sang, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. Can I tell you this morning that the joy has come? Whether you are experiencing it or not, or you're accepting it or not, Emily said it so beautifully last week, you have to unwrap this gift of of hope and peace and joy. Whether you have unwrapped the gift or not, it has come. And it is awesome. But just like we sing, you've got to receive it. And my question for you this morning is, have you received your king? Not the king that you wanted, not the king that would elevate you to higher social statuses or give you more money or give you a new job or, or find the wife that you want to find or the kids that you want to have or live in the house that you want to, but have you received your king, Jesus? Has your heart prepared room for him? And that's just the question I want you just to sit with right now for the next 15 or 30 seconds and I just want to I want you to ask yourselves have you received your king? Have you prepared your heart for him? To me this is one of the most challenging spaces for us as Christ followers to walk with and it's a daily surrender a daily recognition a daily practice to receive our king And this morning, I just believe some of us need to re-receive our king or receive him for the first time. Not the king we want, but the king we need. See, he didn't come and lay 2,000 years of groundwork and migdol letter and do all the crazy things that he did all throughout scripture. He didn't come just to be a part of your life. He didn't come just to just to do some cool things and fulfill some pros- prophecy. He came to be your king. He's not satisfied with just a little bit of you. He's not satisfied with just 50% of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you just to just to sing a couple songs to him on Sunday and then go throughout the rest of your week like he doesn't exist. He wants to be your king. And if that's you this morning who says, you know what? Maybe I haven't been living this way. But I need. Jesus to be my king. I need Jesus to be my king. I'm ready to receive him. Whether it's making a first-time commitment to follow him, or whether that's just saying, I just need to redirect my life. If that's you this morning, I want you to do something bold. I just want you to raise your hand. Just slip your hand up. If you want to receive your king in a whole new way this morning, I see those hands. I see those hands. And I just want to pray this over you, this spirit of joy over you. God, for everyone in this room, and especially those who have raised their hands, God, as we contemplate the miracle of the birth of Jesus. And we journey through this life in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of triumph and, and happiness and, and good things, God, as we as we wander through that journey, God, um, we need your help. Sometimes we fail to endure, sometimes we struggle to persevere. But God, you promised that you are the God who is with us. That even when we can't feel you, when we don't see you, even when we 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 say out loud, how could God be in this, and how could God be using this for good, God? We just we just we know that you are the God who is with us, and so God, this morning, as we run this race of life, we fix our eyes on you. And right now I just pray for every person in this room and the people that raise their hands, God, that you would give us a special impartation of our abilities to just fix our eyes on you. Yes. That we would just remember that for the joy set before you, you went to the cross. If we ever doubt your goodness or your providence or your faith or your miracles. Or who you are, God, we just remember that you sent your only son in the form of a baby to be our Passover lamb and go to the cross so that we could have joy. So, God, I pray that we would live out of that joy no matter what circumstance we are in, and that that would bring glory and honor and worship to you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.